There was once a shepherd whose flock numbered a hundred. One day, the shepherd realized that one of their sheep was missing. Seeing that the other sheep had done exactly what the shepherd wanted, they, let, they left their flock to go find the one. When they found it, the sheep told the shepherd that it was no longer interested in being shepherded and living under the shepherd's hegemony. After all, the natural world had taken care of sheep for a long time, and they got along on their own. The shepherd, having taken stock of their advantageous skills and tools, became angry and refused the sheep's assessment. Later, the shepherd returned to their flock with some blood on them. No one was sure if the sheep managed to escape or if it had been killed by the shepherd, accidentally or otherwise. But one way or another, in the end, the shepherd had only 99 sheep. I'm sure that throughout my life, I've read or heard Luke 24 at least a dozen times. And coming at the end of the Gospels and having heard so many other stories, it sort of has become boring, but it really shouldn't be. It's these two men who are walking along, seemingly just a couple of random dudes, although at least one of them isn't, and Jesus appears to them after his resurrection, teaches them everything about the scriptures, (laughs) breaks bread with them, and then disappears. It's basically a David Blaine special. And uh, it's it's strange, you know, sure, I've, (laughs) I mean, Solomon came in today, right, with a new haircut, and it takes you just a second, but you know it's Solomon. Uh, you know, there was one time one of my best friends from high school grew six inches during college. That kind of threw me off, but it didn't take me long to realize it was him. But uh, when, I think about <laughs> when I think about my nieces, who I don't see as often because they're up in Detroit, you know, if you, I don't know, if you gave them a wig and had them change their voice a little bit, it'd probably take me a little while, it'd take me a little longer. It seems strange that they didn't recognize Jesus. But actually, it's pretty well known historically that the man, one of the men on the road, and I forgot his name, sorry, but he is actually a brother of Joseph, Jesus' father, which, as far as I know, I think makes him Jesus' uncle, but for some reason people think it's strange when I say that. I don't know. And I mean... Literally, literally, God, like what I wouldn't give to hear this probably roughly two-hour lecture from Jesus explaining the entire Old Testament and really explaining himself to me. And it's really, really telling that none of that gets written down. None of what Jesus said during this amazing Old Testament lecture, like, in your face, Tim Green, like... None of it gets written down because the importance of this story is completely elsewhere and it's totally different. The importance is that Jesus has risen. The importance in this Easter season is that Jesus continues to appear. First, he appears to the women and now to these two men, these laymen. Jesus' choices continue to be nothing short of odd. Even these two men who weren't in the inner circle had still hoped that their Messiah had come, that there was a new way for them to be reconciled to God and that they could 
overthrow the oppression, both regional and local, that they faced. But they now are giving up, and they are leaving Jerusalem because Jesus died. That was the end of it. But he shows up again, and he appears to them. And they don't recognize him at first. And something, something only on par with when Jesus whips everyone out of the temple courts happens here. And he actually admonishes these men. He calls them fools. But he really calls them foolish. I don't think that post-resurrection Jesus was allowed to sin. So I think here we find out that frustration is not a sin. But it's really just a naturally occurring human emotion. And that sometimes even somewhat derisive words can still be spoken in love. Because our Savior did it. Christ is risen and he doesn't even just refuse to further elaborate and leave. Despite all the times he's talked to the crowds, he's happy to give one more master class on who he is. When the two men arrive at their destination, the scripture tells us that Jesus makes as though he's going to continue on. He's enjoyed his conversation. Their time has ended. He's just going to keep walking. <laughs> and these men encourage him greatly to stay more than once. And despite being a guest in this house, Jesus takes the lead. And he takes the bread. And when he breaks it, Jesus becomes spiritually exposed. And don't be confused by the words here. These men did not recognize Jesus' manner with the bread. They would not have been at the Last Supper. These were not the disciples, who we know that they go back to at the end of this story. But in this act of breaking bread is where we can still find the post-resurrection Jesus. This act, which we call communion, transcends the physical, and it reveals the very nature of God. I take it to heart very strongly that the Bible tells me not to eat of this table if I am unworthy. And there have been times in my life, periods and phases, where I have chosen not to. But that choice was between me and God. The bread was always available. The breaking of bread is shared by all of us and is in fact vital to participating in the life of God. It is important enough that our pastors through the years have ensured that all of us can partake in it. We've changed our bread, we've changed our juice, we've changed things from time to time to make sure. We believe that the communion table is for all believers and we celebrate it openly in our church. Personally, I'm not convinced that Jesus would have even restricted it from unbelievers. But I have to do more thinking on that. And I've certainly known people who are unsure of God, who I think were a lot closer to the kingdom of heaven than some of the people who proclaim to be so. So if we're going to restrict this table, then we better start by excluding the gluten-free. And if we're going 
to restrict this table, we better be prepared to exclude a lot more sinners. We better be prepared to exclude anyone who is not Jesus. And we better be prepared to exclude Jesus too. Because that will be the outcome when we start to exclude anyone. This table is for liars, coveters, adulterers, thieves, the dishonorable, those who take God's name in vain, and murderers. I would know. I've been guilty of all of those for over a decade. Why does Jesus appear to the women before his own disciples? Because women are welcome at the table of communion. Why does Jesus appear to these laymen before his own disciples, the inner circle? Because laymen are welcome at the table of communion. A day is coming when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in the temple. But you will worship and you will break bread. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the legislative plaza, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Then some lawyers and, lowercase, conservatives brought before the crowd a person caught in sodomy. They made them stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this person was caught in the act of sodomy. In our law, our pastor commanded us to kill such people. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to attack them. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the person still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked them, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, they said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Lord, you have given us what seems like an impossible task. You have asked us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you. You know our hearts, O Lord. Help us with your Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and hear from you. The longer we walk with you, the more we look like you. We desire to become more and more like you, less selfish, more willing to deny ourselves. You have told us that when we lose our life for your sake, we will save it. Save us from ourselves, O God. As we lift up these words for our churches, let us come before God with humility. Let us put others first and serve your creation. May we seek God first, putting aside our own desires. May we pray more and criticize less. May we be encouragers and uplifters. Amen.